0: Well, um, hey, mentioning New Year's earlier, but uh, if you're looking for a fresh start and needing some help to kind of navigate, what do I leave? What do I keep? What do I start? Kind of the three key questions of different parts of your life. we got some booklets here you're welcome to grab. They're on the back table. Actually, there's only a few left, which is great. Um, But this is super helpful to just take some time with God. It goes takes real simple, takes different... Kind of categories of life, and ask the questions, and give space to just talk to God about it, respond to it. So, if you're looking for something like that, you're welcome to grab one of the back. All right. Um, Hey, tonight is a good night. Yes. Um, As we, um, you know, I think coming in this time of year, usually I am for the last handful of weeks, just saying, Lord, what's the word for this year? What are you doing in us? And Um, it's been interesting for me this season as I don't have some big, like, let's put on a t-shirt and do it kind of thing. (laughs) I I don't, I don't, it's like I, the, the, the word that I keep feeling like God's whispering is Selah. And probably some of you might be familiar with it, most of us, but it's just that, that idea of pausing and soaking in, pausing and receiving. Um, but oftentimes the word Selah is usually associated around a moment, and I just feel like he's inviting us into a season where just a deeper place of going, you're God and you're in control. Um, the other thing, I uh, just as I've been praying for us and praying for tonight for a long time, um, the one thing I keep just in my mind I keep seeing is a picture of Jesus holding your hand. And, and I think what he wants to do with us in these next several months is just walk with us. Not big we got to go somewhere. we got to do something. But just, Lord, would you just stay close? God, would you just teach me a new way? I think sometimes we actually need that in life. Instead of the new initiatives, we actually just need to know he's with us where we're walking. The, the, the Psalms 23, though you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. There's a reality of when we walk through painful times or hard times or seasons where and it's not, and we're like, oh, no, is another one coming? Those are those seasons to go, oh, you're right here with me. And so I just invite you to join us in that, to wherever you're at in this journey and, and definitely walking through our life groups together these next few months with, around this theme of just we want to hold on to Jesus, we want to hold on to his hand, we'll let him lead us so we don't have to lead ourselves. Isn't that a restful place? <laughs> just lead us, Jesus. We want to let you lead. Um, so, um, so I'm excited about the next Several Abides. It's, like I said, first Friday of every month. And, I, and my hope is that we have some real practical things to dig into, like how, does, how do we connect this relationship with Jesus to my life and my job and my family and my home and my roommates or my spouse if I'm married? How do we intertwine and connect these things in life? Um, so I'm really excited about that. But tonight, what I, what I really feel like we, God wants us to do is just bring us back to a first love place, just a real simple Coming back to God, there's, 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 my heart, your heart. I want to know you more. So, um, we're going to read probably a set of scriptures that a lot of us might be familiar with, or if not, great. But if these are familiar to you, this is a great chance to go. God, teach me deeper, teach me more. Okay. So the context of this is we see Jesus walking towards Jerusalem. In fact, Scripture says just before this in March that he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Meaning he knew in Jerusalem was the sacrifice he was bringing for my life and yours and for your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends, the sacrifice of Jesus to bring new life, to forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, we find him walking with his disciples and his other friends and followers, and he ends up in this little town called Bethany. So Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a massive city. Okay? It's, it's the place that everyone comes to. And we find that it's a few days away from the Passover. So that means that, that Jews from all over the world are, are traveling back for this one feast. It's the, the biggest of the feasts they have marked on their calendar. And we find Jesus heading towards that moment in his life. He knows something no one else knows. And he stops for a little while with his friends in Bethany. And he has dinner with some friends. So, I don't know about you, but we love hosting people. We actually, for most of our life in Portugal, we hosted pastors and missionaries in our home several times a day or several times <laughs> it felt like a day sometimes several times a week at times. Um, and so we love hosting people. This dinner party we're going to talk about is like none I've ever been a part of, but it makes me long for it for all of us um, so. This story actually has three different parts and three different tellings of it in the gospel. And we're going to read one tonight, but I want you, if you want to write this down, what I want to invite you to do is actually in your own time with Jesus this week, to go back and read these in your in your life groups, to go back and talk about what's God teaching you in these scripture. So there's three different parts. And what I love doing sometimes when I get, a, when I get to a place where God's teaching me and wanting me to pause and teach me something, if there's different, different um, tellings of it, it's like, Instead of a two-dimensional, I get now a three-dimensional view. I read these other tellings of the same experience and go, oh, it broadens what God's teaching me. Does that make sense? Okay, so so this is found in three different places. Matthew 26, 16 through 16. I'm sorry, (laughs) that was funny. 26, 6 through 16, excuse me. Uh, Mark 14, 1 through 11. And John 12, 1 through 11. Okay, let me say it one more time. Matthew 26, 6 through 16. Mark 14, 1 through 11, and John 12, 1 through 11. Okay, we're going to actually um, read through, for the sake of time, just the Matthew passage. Um, But what I want to do, if you've been around for a while, you know, I actually like to interaction. So here we go. You guys ready? Okay, so what we're looking for, as we read this together, is I want to ask that you look for what are the people groups? What are the people interactions that are happening here? Okay? Um, we talked about the location as Bethany, but what's going on in the dinner party? What's the storyline? And then is there something that else in the story that catches your attention? And lastly, I want us to look, there's plenty of, plenty of things that God's teaching us through his word. And always, if you're like me, I've read these kind of verses a hundred times and every time if i slow down enough, God will go, ooh, that's for you. There's something deeper and fresh. So, But is there something that God's wanting to get us get out of this? There's something that caught my attention I'd love to talk about for a moment, and then we're gonna push forward. But okay, you guys ready? Matthew 26, 6 through 16. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as she was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She, was do- she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with me, or with you, but you won't always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it in pre- to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver, and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Um it's quite a story. So who are the the people here? What do you see? Who's at the dinner party? Jesus. Good. That's a good answer. Absolutely. Who else? What's that? Disciples. Okay. Yeah. Simon the leper. Yeah. Who else? And then name woman. Okay. The other two passages, one of them, the one I think it's in John, it actually says it's Mary. Okay. Who else is there? Do you guys remember? Have you guys ever read the other stories? Probably. But it says that Judas was, I'm sorry. It says that Mary and Martha were there. It says Lazarus was there as well. So um, it doesn't say Pharisees are hanging out, but in another part of the story, it actually says that they started to come as the people of the city came and heard Jesus was there. So he's hanging out in this guy's house. We don't know much about him. And in the room... We have Jesus in the room. We have his disciples. But there are two people that fascinate me. One of them is Lazarus. This man was raised from the dead. Wouldn't you like to be in a room if someone was raised from the dead? Like, what would you ask him? You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be an incredible party. Just to, just to look him in the eyes and go, what was it like? What would you see? You know? Um, Simon the leper is an interesting one, too. If, so he has a name. Some of the stories actually have capital letters. His name is Simon the leper. There's not anywhere else that I found in Scripture that talks about him. So I'm going to surmise, we're going to guess, that this guy had leprosy. He had an identity on his body. Is that fair to say? Okay, good. No, don't, don't want to conjecture, you know, go too far. but hey, So his name, his title is Simon the Leper. Everyone apparently knew him. That was his name as the guy who had leprosy. Even when it's gone, that's now who he still is. But if he still had leprosy, would anyone be in the house with him? No, he wouldn't be in the city. So he's, this dinner party, there's a guy raised from the dead, and there's a guy healed from leprosy. That's a good dinner party. You know what I'm saying? Like, it makes me jealous for our lives, for the kingdom of God to be further expressed in our life. To long to sit at the table with people that say, I was set free, just like you and I. I had, maybe we don't have leprosy, but I had this and God healed me. Maybe someone says I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was addicted to drugs. Whatever it is, I I long for us to have those dinner parties. Can you imagine? And Jesus right in the middle of it, smiling all along and saying, you're my kids and look at my goodness. So I, I would love to have a party like that. So let's go for it this year. Huh? That takes us saying yes to him, and then him using us, and then we get to celebrate. That's the fun part about it. Um, So we got this going on. Um, We talked about it's in Bethany. Does anyone else know anything else about Bethany that I didn't mention? No. Okay. Um, So this was where Lazarus was originally raised from the dead. This is now he's coming back through. In other parts of the Gospels that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were, he, Jesus considered a friend. So Jesus is knowing what's coming, and he's stopping and saying, I just want to be with my friends a while. He's days away from this festival happening. He's days away from knowing that something is about to happen. His sacrifice is coming. He is going to be the Passover lamb, right? Um, it also it talks about the oil. What's the oil called? What is it? What's the alabaster? D- nard, nard. Isn't that a funny word? Um, Drew, do you have that picture? This is so the oil nard comes from that plant. Does anyone know what the name of it is? Spike nard. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Anyways, it's just fun to say uh, spike nard plant. So here's the cool thing. Back in the day. When this was going on, this typically grew, it had to grow at 30,000 feet or higher, and it typically grew in the Himalaya mountains, India, Nepal, China. This little plant, the root of it was ground into a pulp, and the oils of it were purified and eventually made its way to Mary's house. So this thing is crazy expensive, all right? And what did, Jesus said that when Jesus was defending him, he said, leave her alone because what was she doing when she broke the alabaster jar and put oil on her head? What was she doing? Preparing for burial. He also described it as perfume. Did you pick up on that? So let's remember those two things. This oil historically was used for perfume and was used for burial. Okay. Do you ever wonder, 2,000 years ago, how often people showered? No, this, I'm serious. This really got me wondering this. Like, how often do people shower? Probably not much. I did a little searching. I couldn't find an answer. So do you think, it's, to me, it's safe to assume that these people might have not smelled great? Maybe. Okay? So the use of perfume could potentially be one of those things in the society that says, I stink, and I don't want to offend you, so I'm going to put this perfume on because it'll cover over my dirtiness. The perfume, and also prepare for burial. So this, this nard plant is fascinating to me. And, um, and today it's more mainstream in different places, and it's grown in different places. Back then, it was hard to get. It was worth a lot of money. Um, all right, and here's, this is, it said it was a pint of pure nard, so I have it in my little handy box. This is like, this is a pint of, uh, this is cooking oil. If you want to fry some French fries, you're welcome to have it afterward. But that's a lot of oil, right? Yes? Okay, who doesn't, David, come here, let me pour this on your head. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine this going on your head. It's a lot of liquid, right? And I also have my little box. Um, I have nard here. You guys want to pass around and smell it? Okay. There you go. Yeah. It's an interesting smell. What I understood when I read this is actually the original nard that was very purified. When it went on your skin, it actually, <laughs> <laughs> it actually, would, it, it was um, used partly for perfume because it would last for days. It was such a powerful oil that it would stick on the skin. All right? Okay. Good backdrop. Um, so, I mentioned values. One value I want to just highlight real quick, um, and I, I think, do you have that? It's Mark 14. Do you guys have that? This is one of the other tellings of the same story, but I think it's worth mentioning because it just, it's, I think it's useful. So, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you'll, you'll, um, and you can... Help them anytime you want, but you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured oil on my body um, beforehand to prepare my prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I I just want to highlight something. Jesus is not saying don't care for the poor, don't meet needs. Jesus is saying. What she did is of greater value. And I want to just, sometimes in our life, we can kind of get the the, the needs around us and the deeds of God turned upside down in priority and forget that we're actually created to love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength. And out of that response and love for him, we meet the needs around us and we do the deeds of God. So Jesus isn't saying it's one or the other, but he's saying she got it right. There's always going to be needs around you. And so I want to invite you, when we think about the year ahead, if wherever you're at and and spending time with Jesus every day, I want to just challenge you to make it rich. A little five-minute read my Bible out the way out the door isn't how you cultivate deepening relationship. Longer time with him. The extravagant sacrifice of Mary sits us face-to-face with Jesus, and it actually deepens us with him. And I I think in this room, we're all in different places and commitments and time level of that. But I want to just challenge you. If if the best you're doing is like, hey, I got 15 minutes, I want to say, what's five more minutes look like? If to plan your night before what your morning looks like and spend time with him, word, worship, and prayer, I guarantee your life will be changed. Okay? But making space for him. And out of that, the needs around you, God will meet them. And the deeds, the things of God that are on his heart will be met through you and through me but it's got to come from the overflow of knowing him first. When we turn that upside down, we actually start getting jaded. God expects things from me. God wants things from me. What is that pastor asking me to do? Whatever it is, our hearts get jaded and twisted because we forget relationship is where it starts and it turns into fulfilling his will in the world around us, okay? Okay, so um, the Pharisees are a part of this picture. Judas, remember at the end of that, he went, Judas went and met the Pharisees. Okay, so describe for me what you know about Pharisees. They're smart. Smart about what? Astrophysics? The law? Okay, so they're lawyers? Come on. Religious law, I'm just picking. Yeah, they're smart about religious law. That means that how did they get smart? They studied the law. They studied the law. They knew the law from an early, 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 early age. They are remembering and memorizing the word of God. Okay? What else do we know about them? Deed-driven? What does that mean? So they're after the deeds instead of the relationship. Isn't that interesting? Okay? What else do we know? Did they look good when they went out in public? Did they? What did they look like? Do anyone have any ideas? like The Chosen. They look, who's seen The Chosen? Come on. What do they look like in The Chosen? Because I'm sure it's fancy. The of nice suits? No, yeah, yeah, but back in the day, nice suits. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, so these guys walked around looking good, hoping that what? You see me because I need your attention. These guys were super knowledgeable, and they had they had, they had law over relationship. It was upside down. And they're here, and this is the one that we read about, that Judas goes to them and says, hey, let's make a deal. But prior to that, Judas wasn't a Pharisee that we know of, but I'd like to submit to you that he actually had Phariseeism in him. Do you heard that term before? Phariseeism? Okay. So I'd like to go a little more personal for each of us. We all have measures of Phariseeism in our lives. We all have places in our lives that it's like, oh, I hope they saw that. I hope I said the right thing, because what if they didn't? At times, if you're like me, I've walked with God a long time. There are seasons where I'm like, I have to read the Bible. I have to read the Bible. Okay, I read a verse. Okay, I'm good. And I'm just, internally, I'm not okay. And so I'm seeing this relationship as deeds. Is like, I just got to get it done. Can anyone relate? Come on. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So we're all human. Okay. So um, these Pharisees, so, Phariseism, it's in all of us to differing degrees. And so, I want to offer a few thoughts about um, what Phariseism looks like, taking this scripture and then those other two over there that we, do, we haven't read about the same story, and pulling together and just say, hey, this, this is if this is in your life, let's be aware. Now, what do we do with it? I'm a second child. So when I hear things like this, I'm like, great, let's go, because I'm used to falling on my face. My brother, who's a first child, he would hear these things and go, I have to get it all right all the time, and this feels constricting. Does anyone who, Who's first child? Can anyone understand that? Okay, if you're first child, you're like, oh, I get it. Okay, there's general bents in our life that says, when I hear something like this, I feel condemned. Or there's bents in your life like me that's like, as a kid, I messed up so many times that I was like, oh, here we go again. Okay, let's get the discipline. Let's keep moving, you know? (laughs) So so my grid for this is not condemnation and shame. My grid for this is, Lord, shape me and change me. And so I want to invite you into the grace part of this. So Jesus referred to in... In Mark 8, 15, he says, be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. He said, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Yeast does what? Who can describe yeast? Marin, you use yeast. Tell us about yeast. Yes. Marin makes sourdough bread. Yes. so yeast is living, right? When you put some hot water in, it's living. It's crazy. So Jenny was making bread, these, these rolls, before like Christmas morning. And I remember sitting in the living room, and she poured this packet in this big bowl. And then she like, boiled water, and she measured it. And she poured it in, and she's like, Scott, it's growing! And it was like at the bottom of the bowl, and then it's like filling up the bowl. Yeast, Pharisaism is like yeast. It's a little bit. It's hungry to destroy our lives. And the lives of the body of Christ and everything good and valuable in your life. So I bring these to us as just an example to go, hey, if there's anything that you're like, ooh, that's me, just go, oh, Jesus, I need your grace. Would you help me? Okay, so I'll be the first vulnerability. You ready? And then we're going to go through the list. Growing up on the field, 14 years, I don't know if I've shared this in this room, so I'm just going to share it because I want to just lead in vulnerability, right? 14 years, we did church a lot differently overseas. Um, and when we came back on furloughs and we'd see different church examples and we'd walk in a big room and we'd go, I don't understand what's happening. It just felt weird a little bit and off. And then we're like, peace out. We're going back overseas. You know, it just, the culture didn't make sense to us a little bit. So being here, we've adapted and we're learning to change and all that stuff. But this summer, I really, I ran into some hard times internally. I came a few, it it was like, I think two or three different Sundays, where I just realized I'd come on a Sunday morning and I'd start going, why is that done? Why are they talking? Why'd they say that? What about that song? Okay. If you're judging me, you've probably done it too. Okay. So yes. <laughs> Anyways, that's me. I was like, oh no. And so about two or three weeks in, I remember leaving on a Sunday morning going, oh, my heart's getting a little jaded towards some people and towards some situations. And I realized I'd leave and I'd go, oh, I'm going to get out of here. And I just wasn't doing good. And so I stopped and I said, Jesus, what's true and what's going on? And it felt like he said, you're giving into judgment, Pharisees." And so I went to Jenny and I went to two other guys I walked closely with. And I said, these thoughts are going through my head. And this is how I'm going to respond to God about it. Would you ask me about it later? And so for the next two days, I was like, God, these are the thoughts that go through my mind on a Sunday morning. I hope it's okay. I'm being really vulnerable, <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, and, and you know them, but I need some help. And can you help me understand? What do I do here? I don't like the fruit where these thoughts are going. They're not going to be good for me or for my family or for, you know, so fill in the blank. And I, and I, and I didn't get a good, clear answer, but I was like, God, I'm not going to let up. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. It's temptation bouncing around in my head. And about day two or three, I felt like God... I like he whispered and he said, he said, on a Sunday morning, you have two things to do. Love people well and receive from me. So you leave with one thing to respond to me in the rest of the week. And it set me free. I love coming to church because I'm there to love people. I'm not there for anyone to look my way. And I'm there to receive from my king because he loves me and he has a gift for me. So I don't have to critique What's being said or what's being sung or what's done or what's not or the lights. or the st- I don't have to, any of that doesn't matter anymore. Because I'm showing up to meet with my king. And I have some people that are incredibly gifted facilitating that. For he and I to meet together. So it set me free. And so most Sundays, no, all Sundays, you'll see me writing in my journal. But I'm not just taking notes. I'm saying, God, what's the one thing to leave with? And as I've done that, my heart's been liberated and I love being at church, and I love our people. And it had nothing to do with Antioch. It had nothing to do. It had everything to do with me and temptation. Okay? Are we good? So that's me being vulnerable, right? And you might go, oh, you're a pastor. You should. not No, I did. I'm human. So there we go. So here you go. Ready? You might be, you might be struggling with Pharisees if. Let me say this because I do have a pastor's heart. All of this is you, but I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at you. Okay, please hear that. I remember as a kid growing up in church and the pastor never once said, I. It was always you this, you that, you that. And his heart was great, but I felt condemned. He's better than me. And I was like, so, I don't, uh, so it's written with you form, but please know I am in line with you to say, God, search me, know me. So if one of these catches your attention, just say, Lord, what's going on? What do you say? God, I want to repent. That's it. Okay, you guys ready? Number one, you might have some Pharisees inside of you if you're easily offended by people's worship or Christians in general. Look at Judas. Look at the disciples. Why did Mary do that? They were easily offended by her expression of love that wasn't theirs. Okay? You ready? Number two. Um, you use labels to describe other churches and Christians. Charismatic. Pentecostal, liturgical, orthodox, reformed, non-reformed, they're word churches, they're spirit churches, they're expressive, they're Baptist, they're traditional, they're fill in the blank. Okay, so let me pause and add a balance here. I understand we need to know where God's calling us to walk with in our expression of worship that fits who we are. But I've also seen, I've been around the block a long time, and I've seen these little terms used to divide hearts against the body of Christ. Okay, so I'm not saying don't ever say it's a Baptist church. That's whatever. I don't care. But what I am saying is be careful. When words. Start to come up. Oh, 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 oh. We good? Okay. Be careful when you when that word starts to come up and you're describing a Christian or a church. To search your heart for a moment and go, oh. I'm putting them in a box, and what's implied is I'm wrong, I'm right, and they're wrong. Because if they were righter, I'd be there, right? Okay, yes, this is yes. Okay, might be hitting home a little bit. Okay. Um, it, it's the, the, anyways, I'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> uh, number three, you feel okay spreading offense in the name of concerns or areas of prayer and find comfort in others who share the same offense with you. Hey, Grant, can I tell you something about so-and-so? I just, they need some prayer. You see that? It's called Gossip. It's not called I love them. That's phariseism. If I actually want to see the person set free, actually, you'll find me in my prayer closet and my face crying out for that person to be free. Not going and telling anyone else about them. Something negative. Hope this is hitting home a little bit. Good? Okay. Um, number four, ready? You lose sight that relationship is of higher value than self-protection. Did I misspell it? What, oh, self-promotion, sorry. Self-promotion or self-protection. What did, Jesus, what did Judas do? Take a little money off the top, right? And then I'm gonna go tell the Pharisees and you're gonna give me some money and I'm gonna turn him in. Out of his offense, he went and said, relationship is severed, I care more about money and about getting vengeance for my offense. Pharisaism tells me that I'm gonna find a problem with someone And when I do, something's got to change. Self-protection sets a wall around me and keeps me at distance with other people. When I care more about relationship than self-protection, then I show up to life group ready to be vulnerable. When I care more about relationship than self-protection, I show up here hungry for what God's going to speak. I don't critique, I receive. Okay, does that make sense? Everyone, we tracking? Everyone convicted, uncomfortable? Oh boy, sorry. Um, just a few more, and then we're going to respond for a moment. Okay, Judas said, what a waste when he saw her sacrifice. So here's what I want to share with that. Make decisions about someone's character, intentions, beliefs, based on outward appearances, and call it discernment. Ooh. And don't take any time to get to know them or pray for them. If you're talking about someone or a church or a pastor or a fill-in-the-blank of the body of Christ more than you're praying for them when you have a concern, we're off. We get on our face and cry out to God for people. And what I've found in my own journey is sometimes judgments come up because I actually need to know that person better. And so I might say, hey, let's go have coffee. I want to get to know you better. When you sit face to face and you actually love someone, you go, oh, you're not that bad. My judgments are really bad. Okay. Um, number six, unaware that temptations often come from subtle thoughts rooted in partial truth that lead to great betrayal. Can I read that again? because it's a mouthful. Okay. Ready? Unaware that temptations come from subtle thoughts. They're often rooted in partial truth that lead to great betrayal. We look at this story and we see Judas and we see what happened there, even with the disciples in a lesser degree, where they saw and they go, oh, I'm offended. I don't like how she worships. And eventually, if you know how the story ends, they leave him and they betray him in the garden for a myriad of reasons, but potentially one of them was this. So temptations come knocking on our door all the time. It's those passing thoughts. The British word for this is nigglings. You guys ever heard that word? It's a, it's, maybe you are called to go to England on that trip this summer because you like that word. Um, nigglings, it's like those, <laughs> it's those little words, that, those little thoughts that go with your head. You're like, that's bugging me. It's like a little bug that keeps on hitting you, but it's the thoughts in your head. Temptation is those little nigglings, those little thoughts that go bing. And if we stop and we go, wait a second, that is negative about that person or that thing or that person, and I don't take it. It's different, of course, than going, hey, that was offensive. Can we have a conversation? I love you. That's different, but the judgments we got to catch. Number seven, we might be struggling a bit with Phariseeism if you ignore the Holy Spirit's warnings. And number eight, you critique all expressions of worship versus honoring these expressions and emulating others' examples of worship. And I put in there pastors, worship leaders, peers, so forth. Okay, that, fat, that last one's important. We critique how people worship instead of maybe on a Sunday morning when people are up front, if you find yourself going, what are they doing up front? I know their story. It might be good just to close your eyes and meet with Jesus. That's what I do. Because I just like, I'll get distracted, and I just got to see Jesus more than anything else. Okay? So we got a little summary list here. We want to take a moment, and I want to ask you with the Holy Spirit right now to be a responder. Is, God, is there any one of these that hits home that I just need to bring before you and ask for help? Now, let the Holy Spirit help you. Don't decide yourself. If we, because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked, I can look at this and go, I'm doing fine. Holy Spirit, is there any one of these that I need your help to change on? Just look for just a second. Okay, everyone good, got something? Now, the next thing I want to do is I want you to ask him, just a second, close your eyes, and just you pray something like this. Holy Spirit, would this week, would you help me to be more sensitive to these things, and would you set me free? Just ask him that. And what i want one last thing I want you to think, God just ask him, God, what is the next step I can do to walk in more freedom in this area so what's the, what's one thing you're going to walk away with tonight to combat this and i and i um Offer this to us, guys, because we've, we've been involved for a lot of years in life groups and leading a section of life groups and then life overseas. We cared for pastors and missionaries for 14 years. We've been around the block of church stuff a long time. And I've seen a lot of great people give into to the end fruit is great betrayal and the leaving of the body of Christ because of accusations. And if they're humble and hungry and we're able to sit with them long enough... They get back and they trace it back and they go, oh, it started with judgment. It started with Phariseeism, with pride. But not, not many people are comfortable to get there. Most people actually say, no, I'm right and they're wrong. And all along it's accusation. And if things need to be addressed, if things need to be more healthy, absolutely, that's not what I'm saying. Because no one's perfect and no church is perfect. But it's in our heart, do we pray, do we love, do we lean towards people? That's what matters. Okay? All right. So a remedy, we're going to turn a corner. We're almost done here. Um, A remedy here that we see in in this story is that Mary comes with something drastically different, and it's her sacrifice. And we talked about pure nard. Okay, so here's your test. Ready? What are the two two uses back then for nard? Perfume and burial. burial. Okay, great. So I, I, I wanted um. Ask if we could take the, that definition of the, the usage, of, the usage of, of nard and expand it a bit to make it applicable to our lives. So, perfume covered over the stink of their life. Self protection is I have sin, I have judgments, I have whatever, isolation, I have whatever it is, and I'm going to put the perfume on because I got to look and smell good. Okay? Instead of going, the solution is very different. So the use of nard can, be, can look exactly the same. Our life expression of worship can look exactly the same as the next person. And one person is saying, I'm putting it on to protect myself. I'm not actually going low to let Jesus meet with me and set me free. And the next person can be like Mary that says, I'm going to extravagantly love him. With no promise of any um, anything in return. Do you notice that? Mary didn't go... I'll give you this if you give me my healing. I'll give you this if you do this for me. Mary didn't do that. She just said, oh, you're the king, and all I can do is worship you extravagantly. Okay? So, preparing for burial. Um, what I mentioned beforehand, I think, is... is, is um, Worth us honing in on to respond to is that, like I said earlier, Nard was known as one of those perfumes and burial things that was used that got on the skin and saturated the skin and stayed for days. In another telling of the same story, it said when she poured it on his head, it said it filled the entire room with the smell. So this stuff's powerful. Did we get it back? Did everyone enjoy the smell? Okay, there it is. Okay. So that stuff is powerful. It filled an entire room. And it's the kind of thing that put on the skin would last for days. And others around me would actually smell it and go, oh, you're hiding something. Or, oh, you smell bad, so you're putting perfume on. Or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? It's it's useful for life. But in this context and applying it to our lives, I, I want to suggest that our You're in my extravagant expressions of love and trust of him, it's really faith. Faith says, I love you, and I don't expect anything in return. Faith says, I trust you, even though I don't know you fully like I want to, and I'm trying to trust you more. Is Mary poured it on his head. In fact, this is culturally, this is probably what happened. So they're sitting around a table, but they didn't have table and chairs like us. They had, typically in that day, they had low tables. And the men were the ones eating and they would usually lounge like this. And they're eating and they're talking, okay? Do you ever, have you ever played this story out and wondered what happened? Because two accounts say it got on his head and one said it got on his feet. You ever wonder that? Mm Mm-hmm. I've read them times ago. oh, those don't match up. I'll keep reading. <laughs> and I was like, no, Lord, how do these match up? God, what are you doing? Because the Bible's true. And here's what I believe happened. I believe normal dinner party hanging out with these people. Jesus is reclining with his friends. Others are serving him. And all of a sudden, Mary comes in. And I believe people sat up and went, what? Just, and she's got this alabaster jar of oil. And people probably go, that's your dowry, Or that's your inheritance, or what are you doing that's worth so much? And she walks towards Jesus and she pours a pint of beautifully smelling perfume on his head. And I believe it saturated his head and it ran down his cheeks, got into his beard, if he had a beard, I assume he did. And it ran down potentially his neck and onto his clothes. And it was so much oil, it was so extravagant, that I believe it went all the way down to his feet. And perhaps she's pouring it, and she's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just have to love you this way. And maybe she spilled some on his feet. I don't know. But what it tells us is that when it got on his feet, it said she actually, culturally it's inappropriate to show the hair for the woman, is she took her hair and she started wiping his feet, the dirtiest part of his body. And she's like, oh, oh no, oh no, 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 oh no. And it's like the, the, the crowd is starting to judge and she's feeling it. And the loving eyes of Jesus is looking on her and proud of her because she said, I'm giving you everything. And it saturated him. It covered Jesus, I believe, head to toe. And because of what NARD is, the qualities of it, the next few days were, were paramount in Jesus' life. Jesus rides a donkey into the city. You guys remember this story? Palm branches laying down their coats on the ground and saying, hail, king of the Jews. And I wonder if Jesus is looking around going, all of you are going to betray me soon. And I wonder if he smelled Mary's perfume and felt comforted. There's some out there that love me, will never leave me. I wonder, I don't know. And I wonder when he gets to the temple, you guys remember this part? And he starts cleansing the temple and he's turning over the tables and he's saying, my house is to be a house of prayer. And he loves the church. He loves, he wants to purify his bride and he's throwing him off. And I wonder as that righteous anger is expressed, I wonder if Jesus is smelling her sacrifice and saying, oh, that my bride would be like her, not like these people. And I wonder if when Jesus Shortly after was in the, the, um, the, in the garden, and, and he's praying and longing, God, would you take this away from me? But not my will, but yours. He knows the cross is coming. And I wonder when he hears the soldiers come, and if his heart's racing and maybe sweating a little bit, he's like, it's happening. Now it's happening. And I wonder as he, the guards come towards him and all the disciples leave him, if he smells the fragrance of Mary's sacrifice, and it becomes comforting to him. Because remember, this stuff lingered on him for days. And I wonder if when Jesus was accused and mocked before crowds of people, if he was able to have the courage because of the sacrifice of some, the pure love expressed. And maybe when he's strapped down and whipped and a crown of thorns on his head and the Bible says he was beaten beyond human recognition. I wonder in that time of excruciating pain if he might have smelled that nard, that sacrifice. And maybe when he's carrying the cross up the hill and maybe when he's laying and he's getting those nails nailed in his hands and his feet, maybe that smell is still there and he's like, oh, she's who I'm dying for and everyone else around me. Because I know his heartbeat is for us today. And I I believe that our wholehearted yes to him, that's not a one time in college, I did it and I'm done or fill in the blank of an experience, but it's like it's today and it's next week and it's that when God says, would you give me that? That it's our extravagant worship of him that saturates. And it's why he died. He died and rose again so that our sins are forgiven for you and me and your neighbor and your coworkers and your friends and your family. And he died so that we can actually give everything to him and be okay with it. Knowing that there's an exchange of love that happens. When I give him something, I get more of him because my hands aren't as filled and cluttered. So I want to invite you tonight, and I want to invite you to join us in the months ahead to just that simplicity of relationship with him. What is it that he's saying? Hey, would you trust me with that? Maybe it's you're single and you're not married, and it's super hard, and I, 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 I can't understand. Maybe that's that place that's that nard that's too precious to give up. Can I really trust him? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. I don't know. Maybe it's your health. But is there something that you're like, I can't take this, but you can. I'll give it to you. And it's a love, trust. It's a faith beyond what we can understand. So I want to ask us if we can just take some time tonight to do that. So a lot of times at the end of Abide we're actually kind of calling out and praying for different things but tonight I just want to say let's you and God, me and God. What is it that he's saying hey would you trust me with that? I promise you we've walked with God a really long time and when we do we feel more light and free and we get more of him. When we go, oh, okay, I'll trust you with our finances. Oh, God, I'll give generously. Or God, I'll trust you with our daughters. Or or, I'll trust you with this or that. When we trust him and we just say open-handedly like Mary did, there's something about this exchange that can happen. But we'll never know until we just say, I'll give you it all. I'll give you it all. So we got some time here, and I want to take a little bit of time for us just to respond to him. All right, so when we all stand up? So, um, yeah, just, let me, just pray with me and then oh, just freedom to respond to him however you feel like you need to. So Spirit of God, I uh, just ask in this room you'd show us what our pure nard is and God, would you help us have courage to give it to you? Would you help us have courage, Lord, to trust you with our life, with that which is so precious to us. Lord, would you give us courage in this room to give you everything. And I thank you, Lord, that our lives are aroma to you as we trust you. It's aroma of joy. It's aroma of pleasure and love. And let it be, God, even as we worship here for a while, let that aroma be pleasing to you, God. You're worth everything. We love you, Lord.